Good morning and welcome to Seeking Wellness, Our Bodies Explain on WPKN 89.5 FM. I am your host, Dr. Jennifer Pierre, your neighborhood naturopathic doctor and public health advocate, bringing you the best of what integrative medicine has to offer. We broadcast from Bridgeport, Connecticut on the fourth Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Here on Seeking Wellness, we discuss various health topics while clarifying some misconceptions about naturopathic medicine and providing education from a clinical and holistic perspective. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're new to the party, come on in, take off your shoes and get comfortable. If you've missed any of our past shows, please log on to our website, wpkn.org, to explore our archives and podcasts. Last month, we talked about fibroids. So if you missed that show, it was a very great show. And we talked all about fibroids in honor of Fibroid Awareness Month. But this month, I wanted to circle back and talk about some mental health issues that we are dealing with as a result of the pandemic. So two months ago, we talked about coping through the pandemic. And today, we're talking about caring for children's emotional needs through the pandemic. I invited a special guest on today to help me discuss this topic. Her name is Dr. Stephanie Preston. We have worked together for over two years, and I wanted to get her perspective on how to care for children's emotional needs. I'm going to introduce her with her bio and then have her introduce herself. Dr. Preston is a naturopathic physician licensed in the state of Connecticut. She obtained her doctorate in naturopathic medicine, ND, as well as her master's of acupuncture at the University of Bridgeport in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She also received her Bachelor of Science in Biology with specialized research in toxicology and clinical studies at St. Vincent's Hospital. In 2011, she started volunteering with the CCADV as a certified domestic violence counselor, where she first became interested in healthcare for women and children. She went on to research and write her thesis on prenatal massage and its benefits to mother and child. She continued her education with specialized training in mind-body techniques while in school to help with dealing with emotional, physical stress, and trauma. Dr. Preston's specialties include women's health, hormones, infertility, prenatal and postpartum care, and pediatrics. When she is not seeing patients, Dr. Preston enjoys spending time with her husband, one-year-old son, and their dog, London. Currently, she is studying to become a registered yoga teacher. Please help me welcome Dr. Stephanie Preston. So we have Dr. Preston on the line. Dr. Preston, are you there? I'm here. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about the topic today. Um, You know, I had previous shows where I talked about 
coping through the pandemic. And I spoke a little bit about children and how they're faring through the pandemic. So I'm really excited today to have you on because you work so closely with children, all different types of children. I'm really excited to get your take on how children are faring through this pandemic. So just to get into it, tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your journey to naturopathic medicine. Um, So I am a mom, a new mom. I have, well, not really new, but it always feels new. Um, I'm one year old. Um, And so, you know, pediatrics is kind of like close to my heart. Um, I, I got into naturopathic medicine specifically just out of my own journey through, you know, health, health troubles. Um, I had a lot of, uh, non-answers my whole childhood with, you know, a lot of digestive issues, a lot of anxiety myself, um, depression. I dealt with a lot of these things and just, they continued for years and I felt like I just wasn't getting, you know, any answers or any um, solutions to what was going on. And so I searched and searched and, and it was actually um, my own doctor who recommended I look into naturopathic medicine um, to see if there were things that I could do, you know, with my diet or, you know, um, even a supplement of vitamin that I might need. Um, And she was the one who directed me to checking out naturopathic medicine, which I had never, ever heard about. And then I was about 19 years old when I took the jump and actually decided to go see a naturopath myself. And, you know, after I went, it was like very eye-opening, the things that they expressed that I should be looking into or trying to do. And I'd never heard that nutrition or my diet could affect my mood or affect how my stomach felt, um, you know, it was just really eye-opening and I was like, wow, let me, let me actually try this. And I did. And you know, the rest is history. You know, here I am. I did that. (laughs) I felt I got, I got better over a period of time. I still feel great today. And it was through that, you know, my personal journey that really pulled me into naturopathic medicine and, and helped me kind of decide what, where I was going to go and like where my specialties were going to come from. That's amazing. That's amazing that you were able to have someone to direct you to a naturopathic doctor. I had no idea what it was personally until my late twenties. So it's amazing that you, you had that. Um, And so knowing a little bit about how you were directed in that area, did you also have like any um, mental, emotional issues that you felt like the naturopathic doctor was able to address or just, you know, include that in part of your, your care? Yeah. So that was actually a major part of what um, we, we had talked about, you know, I had had my own, you know, digestive issues, but that's actually very connected to my mental health, which is something that I've like gone into deep in, um, trying to figure out and understand myself um, because my, the naturopath I had seen had explained that, you know, mental health is very much so related to your overall health, your body, your digestion. Mm-hmm. And so we focused on trying to help with the mental health aspect by addressing my digestive stuff going on. And um, it, it was amazing that small things, you know, changes to what I was eating, things that were I didn't realize bothering me were actually making me feel, you know, 
anxious or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had, you know, had trouble with sleeping and nightmares and I was very, you know, t- the tired, being tired was also affecting, you know, my anxiety and my depression. So like sleep was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just little things that you don't really pick up on. And I had never picked up on that. I, they, that had got brought to light. Even my hydration was a big thing. You know, mm. um, I hadn't ever thought, you know, my hydration could be making me feel more depressed, but it, it was, um, you know, I was barely drinking enough water and you, you would think, you know, I would know that, you know, the eight glasses a day, as we all know, but we mm-hmm. don't realize the impact that if you don't actually get to those eight glasses a day, what that can actually do to your well-being and how you feel and your mental health and your hormones and all of those things. Wow, that's a great point. Um, I also think it's interesting how you were talking about the digestive health, that connection with the mental health. I don't think many people realize that these neurotransmitters, a majority of them, including serotonin, um, are formed in your digestive tract. So we have a large amount of these hormones there. So it's, thank you for bringing up that point about the connection between digestive health and mental health as well. Yeah, of course. So what connections do you, you know, you kind of answered this question specifically, but how do you feel that, how do you feel naturopathic medicine um, in particular can help with the mental health of children? Um, Well, with naturopathic medicine, I do believe there's an avenue um, that we really, uh, we are really strong with as naturopaths. We look at the back background and say, okay, what, what could possibly be the cause of what's going on with the mental health, whether it's, you know, anxiety or depression or, you know, um, switches in moods, whatever it may be, whatever that person is dealing with. Um, but a lot of times in kids, these things get missed. It's not so much what's causing it in conventional medicine, but just how we, how do we, you know, try to clear up these symptoms or reduce those anxieties or depression that they're feeling. Um, Therapy is a really great avenue that they typically use in conventional medicine. And I am very, very much so in support of of therapy. Um, There are also, you know, you know, pharmaceuticals, uh, medications that are used um, that are aimed at trying to uh, help with those, those feelings of sadness or anxiety but naturopathic medicine is very different in its approach to not just trying to fix those issues, but really look where did they come from? Why did they start in the first place? Um, is there something going on in this child? You know, is it a nutrition thing? You know, kids are so affected by nutrition. Um, a small nutrient deficiency can lead to a huge a physical symptom or an emotional symptom. So that's where naturopathic medicine comes in. We mm-hmm. look and delve into what could be this underlying reason that brought this up in the first place. Um, is there a physical issue with that? Is there, you know, um, helping parents also understand where it came from and support them through the process, not just helping the child themselves, but also the parents so they can also support the child through transition um, understanding what they're going through. Um, parents play a big, big role in, in mental health. And that, again, naturopathic medicine, we, we address the whole unit of the family as well to help get everyone involved in helping the child in, their, in, in healing. That's fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit um, about your work with trauma and mental health previously? Um, so you have had a lot of training 
prior to becoming a naturopathic physician. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I was about, I think about 19 years old, the same time I got involved with naturopathic medicine, um, I actually did training to become a certified domestic violence counselor with the Connecticut CCADV. Um, and that is a big group that helps women and children um, going through domestic violence situations and helps with, you know, housing them or homing them when they leave the situations. And one of the big things that they need help with also besides the counseling part is also help with childcare because when you're involved in situations with domestic violence, you know, moms will come into the shelters and go out looking for work or need medical attention or whatever it may be. And in that time, they need help with finding someone to help with the children. So my major role when I was doing that was to help with childcare, help interact with the kids, um, and uh, just help them progress through what they've been through, not necessarily as an active therapist, but just kind of being a supportive, secure person to make them feel like they're in a safe environment um, while their parent was out and about doing what they needed to do. Um, and I did that for a few years before starting school um, and, you know, worked with a lot of kids the very, very young age, you know, three years old, all the way up to teens, you know, 15, 16 years old, and just kind of, you know, talking to them and asking questions or getting them involved in art or finding other things that would make them feel safe and relaxed and were less stressful um, activities for them, um, especially coming out of an environment where there may not have been secure safety or any kind of uh, relaxation at that time. Wow. What would you say was one of the biggest um, developments or things you learn that was so impactful that actually apply to your practice today? Like what, what was one big takeaway you can say that came out of that experience? So from that experience, it was actually what really, really drove me into being like, all right, you know, I really want to do women and children. That was like, I, I worked with them and I saw just from where I was, you know, there was not a lot of um, even like help or health, you know, medical aid for these these families, uh, you know, specifically in the, that that population of children, women and children who are coming from these domestic violence situations, um, there was just really a lack of, of guidance and um, medical attention other than the major things, you know, there wasn't a lot for these families as far as how do we process through what we've been through. You know, therapy is absolutely wonderful, but there's other things that can come into play as well, like nutrition. When you're in stressful situations like that, or you have low income, um, you know, you're trying to get on your feet with your family and you may not have had a job prior to, you know, going into the shelter, um, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to, eat right because, you know, there's not that much. You're relying on people's donations, which are wonderful. But as far as nutrition goes, there's no, there's not real guidance with that. And since nutrition plays a huge role in how we feel, as, you know, we've spoke about before, seeing that their nutrition, their diet was very all over the place. And mm. that also knowing that, seeing that as a contributing factor, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. I really want to be able to give back and help these families through something like this and seeing the impacts of, you know, having some junk food and then the next moment someone's feeling like really sick to their stomach or whatever it was. And then the stress that came from that, when they're already stressed out, that was like, all right, you know, 
I really want to be able to help and guide them because they just, a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, would you say that that experience is kind of what led you to focus on treating children specifically? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about, um, you know, um, just working with children now um, and how I would, I guess the question is more so how do you think that work is represented in what you're currently doing with children? I, I would say one of the things that really, really changed the way I practice just from that experience is um, being sensitive to the fact that there's not a lot of um, knowledge with, you know, about how long-term trauma affects the body Mm. and even our vitamin and nutrient status in the body, you know, is affected by long-term stress. And so knowing that, knowing that there are things that physically come out of, you know, uh, the the trauma, not just the mental aspect, but physically um, being aware of that and trying to address that early on when someone comes in and, you know, says, you know, my child has some anxiety or depression or whatever it may, or aggressive behavior, whatever it is, being sensitive to the fact that, okay, there may actually be not just an emotional uh, mental aspect to this, but a very, very real physical aspect addressing that or finding that out early on through testing or, you know, whatever it may be, finding it out early on so we can address address that early on through diet and nutrition, because that's one of the easiest ways to help kids. Kids usually are pretty, pretty uh, open to trying new foods, or if they really like a food, eating more of the food that they love. Um, so it's, it's, it can be easier to address those issues because diet can play a big role. So yeah, that would probably be one of the biggest things that came out of, of working with the domestic violence population and children and how I'm doing things now today. That's really helpful. I I think it's good for people to have an idea of people, you know, healthcare workers who are working with different populations, populations that typically are very vulnerable and don't have much access to services. So thank you for sharing, you know, your, your viewpoint about that. So tell me more about your work with children. Specifically, I'm interested in knowing more about your work with children who are on the spectrum. So could you describe what that means for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, so whenever you hear someone say, you know, someone's on, a child is on the spectrum or has a spectrum type disorder, um, this just basically means that it's a, it's a condition that's it's re- related to how the brain is developing um, or has developed, and that mostly it is impacting on how the that person or child interacts with uh, in social situations or um, perceives how others are interacting with them. Um, and that can cause issues with their communication or um, you know, again, social interactions can be affected. Uh, and a lot of the times this will come hand in hand with almost like repetitive type behaviors, physical tics or, um, you know, routine rituals that they have. Um, so that's, that, that would be like your ultimate like generalization of a spectrum disorder. Um, it can also come hand in hand with mood. You can have mood disorder in there as well. Um, you know, basically meaning someone may have more uh, anxiety or they may have more aggression or they might flip back and forth from multiple emotions. Um, 
and then there's also, uh, you know, the physical symptoms with autism spectrum disorder or um, behavioral spectrum disorders where you might have a lot of activity or someone who has more energy um, than other children and is very, or can't focus on a topic or a subject. Uh, that's typically, you know, encompassing many spectrum disorders. Okay, so that would include autistic children. Um, are you also including uh, ADD or ADHD, or is that outside of that? That would also be a type of spectrum disorder, not necessarily autism spectrum, but um, a behavioral spectrum disorder. Okay, so that's also lumped into that category. Correct. Okay, perfect. Um, when I had the show on uh, children and how they were being affected by COVID specifically, um, I talked about some changes to be aware of. So I'm just going to reiterate some of those changes. And I, I would definitely like your feedback on the, some of those changes, anything else you'd like to add, and also what you're seeing presented in the patients that you're treating. So obviously, we all know we're knee deep into this pandemic now. I believe we're, in, we're six months in. And some of these changes, I know with my patients, I deal with the um, adult population, but I've seen these changes in, in, some, in the adults as well. But with children, more specifically, these were some of the changes that I thought were important to highlight. So some of that can be excessive crying or irritation in younger children. Sometimes children return to behaviors they may have previously outgrown. For example, this could be toileting accidents like bedwetting. Sometimes children have excessive worry or sadness, unhealthy eating or sleeping habits, irritability and acting out, which as we talked about before, sometimes that can be misconstrued with other disorders, poor school performance or avoiding school, difficulty with attention and concentration, avoidance of activities that were enjoyed in the past, unexplained headaches or body pain, and with older children, sometimes the use of alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs. Are those some of the changes you've been seeing? Do you have anything else you'd like to add to that or things that parents who are listening should be um, looking out for? Yeah, um, that actually sounds very, very correct, all of those things. Um, I also, um, I, I've seen a lot of uh, disturbances. I don't know if you mentioned this disturbances with the sleep and night terrors can sometimes be some things that, um, I see, uh, you know, that's, that is a big thing. A lot of anxieties are expressed or fears are expressed in sleeping. Um, tell me more about the night terrors. I mentioned some sleeping habit changes, but more about the night terrors and what you're seeing in children. So I have seen a few, uh, actually a, a large amount of children and they're, not all at the same, you know, extreme case, but night terrors in general is just when a child has issues with, um, you know, nightmares that become excessive, even in waking, they something that disturbs their sleep and wakes them, um, you know, then they can't go back to sleep and they believe that it's still occurring or they're still half asleep. Um, and there's a lot of uh, anxiety and fear around the sleeping itself. So they'll have trouble falling asleep wake up early, um, a lot of crying, a lot of uh, really, really bad physical anxiety, uh, sometimes even shaking, you know, they can start shaking in their sleep, not like seizure shaking, but shaking because of uh, the terror. They're actually feeling this extreme feeling of terror, and they don't necessarily know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Um, that there's, I mean, there's so many w- ways we can go from there. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go right into the patients that you're treating and give us a, a look into what that's like. So how, how are you seeing this in your patient population specifically? You mentioned some examples, but are there some cases and, you know, that really stand out to you about, you know, the children and how their conditions may have worsened or new presentations that have come about because of COVID and the pandemic? Yeah, so it's been interesting, actually. There are a couple of cases that stand out specifically where I have seen um, young children, very, you know, three, three years old, four years old, um, showing a lot of social anxiety where there had been none, absolutely no social anxiety. They were totally fine going to daycare or seeing other children. And now um, going out, even the parents usually are trying to not go out as often, but when they need to and a child accompanies them, um, having severe anxiety related to seeing people in masks, um, which is very, very new. It's not a, this is not something we've I've ever encountered before because this is not something we've ever done before where everyone in society is wearing a mask. So, so is that scaring them or are they confused? Both. What are they thinking about the mask? Both. Yeah, wow. it's both, both, um, both confusion and fear. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I've kind of taken from this is a lot of, a lot of social development is in young ages is based on being able to read expressions mm. and children, <laughs> children on spectrum disorders or who have a spectrum disorder typically have a more difficult time reading expressions on people's faces as it is, which means their interaction is going to be a little bit skewed. And then when you throw in the fact that now we're all wearing a mask in public, they, there's, it's even harder for these children and even children who are not on the spectrum to discern what a facial expression is just based on eyes. Now there's no, you know, you can't read the, the mouth and that can make, give them a sense of fear because they can't really see, is this face a face of, you know, a safety there? Is this person smiling? Is this person a safe person to be around? You can't see those things anymore. So a lot of kids um, almost subconsciously are getting this extreme amount of, of fear related to it because they can't tell who, who looks safe and happy and friendly and who does not because mm-hmm. everyone is covered in these masks. Wow, that's a great um, point that you make because we're thinking about adults and how we're dealing with masks. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the the things on social media, the news and people being frustrated that they have to wear masks. But I don't think people are really thinking about how this may be affecting children, whether it's fear or like you said, you brought up safety, which is really important. And so how are children dealing with this? And this is primarily why I wanted to do this show, because I think as adults, you know, we have our Um, in a lot of ways, privilege around this situation and what's not the same and what's not as fun and what we can't do, but not thinking so much about how this is affecting children. And I think, thankfully, I I said this on the previous show, um, thankfully that children aren't being as affected physically in terms of symptoms by COVID. But you know, just because they aren't being as affected, we know there are some cases affecting young children, but you know, what about their mental state? And this is why this is so important that you're bringing up these things that I don't think the general public is always thinking about. Right. So are there any other common concerns that you're hearing from your patient population? I would say specifically parents. Yeah. So 
with parents, the most concerns that I hear relate to how to um, make their kid, child or, or kids feel a little bit more secure or um, calm because there is a lot of stress and fear related to coronavirus. And not all parents, you know, know exactly and who, who does know exactly how to describe what's happening around the world and then to, to themselves, you know, understand it for themselves, let alone try to explain that to their, their child who looks to them for guidance to let them know that they're okay or they'll be safe. So a lot of parents come just really looking for advice and guidance on um, how to relieve some of the fear and anxiety their child's experiencing related to coronavirus um, by, you know, being factual, but at the same time not giving away, you know, information that's not necessary or not age appropriate at that time. Mm -hmm. And can you share um, some of the tools that you're using with parents or what's coming up. I believe you call them your health check-ins that you're having with patients. So tell me more about what the health check-in includes and what is coming up or what you're able to share. Yeah. So with the health check-ins, what I've been doing is then this is again, a new thing that I've kind of started doing since the coronavirus started happening um, is doing short little check-ins. Sometimes it's just 15 minutes, sometimes it's 20. It's whatever the family really needs at that time. But short, quick check-ins where we gather together um, through, you know, some kind of virtual um, visual, you know, video. And then we actually talk as a group, you know, parents and children. So everyone can ask questions about what's going on, what they can do. Um, we can check in to see how people are feeling, um, how the parents are feeling, how the children are feeling, um, and kind of discuss things to alleviate some of the anxieties going on. Um, so if there's questions about something they saw in the news or something that mm-hmm. they heard on a radio or something that someone in school or, you know, in a class or their friend texts them, you know, if they're a little bit older, there's, this is the time that we kind of air things out, clear it up and talk about what's real and what's maybe not or skewed facts or not so true um, so that people, all of them can feel better, be on the same page. And it's kind of our open time. So parents can also connect with their children and know what's going on in my kid's life, what are they hearing, um, and what, what can I do to even alleviate my own anxieties because kids pick up on parents' anxiety as well. Hmm. That's a good point. And we're back. So we have been talking with Dr. Stephanie Preston. She is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in pediatrics and also uh, with trauma with children from her past career as a, a counselor for children and domestic violence. So I wanted to talk now about some of the conventional treatments that a lot of your pediatric patients may come in with taking or even discussions they've had with their physicians. And then we're going to jump into the juicy topic of some natural therapies that people can apply at home for some of these conditions and just helping people to manage throughout this pandemic. So tell me uh, a bit about some of the conventional treatments that your patients have come in with. So some of the um, conventional treatments that I typically see, um, you know, even at younger ages, there can be medication that's used to help with alleviating anxiety or 
focusing on a lot of the times, very common, a uh, couple of medications that I see will be you know, Adderall or Ritalin. Um, even sometimes Stratera is another one of these medications that pops up um, as very common uh, for children who have difficulty with uh, focusing or school performance. Um, and especially now with a lot of the anxieties and performance issues that may be coming up even now through the coronavirus. So those are a few of the ones that are pretty common um, that I'll see. And um, there are many, many ways that we can work around. You know, if a child is on medication, there are many ways and things that we can do that are completely safe to work in conjunction with these medications as well. And I'm happy you brought that up because many times people are concerned about using naturopathic medicine while they are on medication, specifically with children. So, you know, the fact that you feel pretty comfortable that you can work with patients who come in on medication, so with or without. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many things that are very gentle or um, natural things that don't have many effects, um, specifically on the liver is what we really don't want to be affecting um, uh, metabolism in the liver, because that's how our medications are broken down and used in the body. So there are many things that we can do or are used that are very um, non-interacting and safe. Uh, but it is very important that any naturopath or doctor that you do see, you, you let them know what your child is currently taking. Um, and, and it is important to know, you know, how much as well that can also mm-hmm. affect, affect things too. So, you know, knowing what your child is on and, and being open to letting your doctor know what these things are um, early on can make sure that your child has completely, you know, safe, safe options um, recommended. And that's important for adults too, of course, if you're listening, (laughs) if you are seeing a naturopathic doctor, um, an integrative physician, please be sure to let them know what medications you're currently taking. And a lot of our supplements and herbs are very safe, but we need to know if there are going to be any contraindications. So please don't think if you're taking a supplement, it doesn't matter They are safe for the most part, but it's important to know um, sometimes these supplements and pharmaceuticals are working on the same um, receptors. And so there can be contraindications. So please, please, please to keep that in mind, even if it's something that you know to be safe. So let's jump into some of these natural strategies. So we kind of touched upon nutrition already, and I know that's a big, big portion um, for you that's a big tenet in naturopathic medicine to focus on nutrition. That is the foundation of everything. And um, I also wanted to talk about some other supportive strategies. So tell me more about the role nutrition plays in children and how you have seen um, that interplay with anxiety and uh, some, some coping mechanisms that children may need. Yeah. So um, as far as nutrition goes, like, you know, I've said it and you've said it many times. I, I do love working with nutrition because it's something very simple and easy that you can go to the store and like your medicine is in your grocery store. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's my first go to because we can we have easier access to it. Food is um, medicine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, with in general foods that that can be helpful even. Yeah, so um, some foods that I, I really like to, you know, ha- ex- 
used for many kids across the across the, everything um, is you know nuts and seeds uh, are a really good one. There's micro minerals and nutrients, and one specific one that I really really like using for many 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 different things is making sure a kid has enough magnesium in their diet. Mm. Um, magnesium is a really important nutrient, um, and you can get it in good good amounts um, frequently from nuts and seeds. And its role is so important from things physical to like muscles and, and muscle development to digestion, um, but also in um, our brain hormones and how we, we feel. And I've seen um, very commonly um, adults as well, magnesium is not usually in the range that it should be. Um, usually uh, on the lower end, typically in you know, a standard American diet, we're usually pretty low in magnesium. And so this is one that I like to, you know, generally give, you know, good food recommendations to, to try to make sure that at least we're getting that covered in our daily diet. And, and if need be, you know, if we really need to, we can always test to see where these levels are. If I think that it's very, like they could possibly be very low. Um, but making sure that in the general diet, they're already getting a good source of that magnesium, which can sometimes be hard for those pickier eaters um, <laughs> or children who, who have a very small or limited rotation of foods that they like to eat. That is so true. So magnesium deficiency is incredibly common and magnesium is a cofactor for so many biochemical processes in the body. And when you were talking about picky eaters, I was thinking about greens in particular. Mm -hmm. So sometimes kids are not as excited about greens, but greens are a great source of magnesium. Um, so just like you said, unfortunately, we don't eat enough of these foods that um, you know, may provide us with enough magnesium. And if your body is using it for so many of these biochemical processes, then, you know, it's, it's not uh, uncommon that we'll be deficient because we have to keep replenishing it. You also mentioned nuts and seeds, um, which is great. It's easy food for kids to um, uh, consume. Uh, so what are some of the nutrients that you find with the nuts and seeds that can be helpful for children? Um, so, Nuts and seeds in general, there's a lot of good um, oils in them as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Some nuts and seeds specifically have more healthy oils in them um, that are very important for um, our body in production of hormones as well. Yeah, so, our omega-3s. Exactly, exactly. So um, making sure we're getting those omega-3s and those healthy oils, those nuts and seeds can do a double action. You're getting some of that magnesium and you're getting some of those healthy oils, which are so important for nerve development and brain development and, um, you know, uh, muscle tissue and everything like that. So that's a, another big one to make sure that we're getting and, and nuts and seeds can be very helpful for addressing that as well. Um, do you also supplement um, sometimes with those omega-3s with your patients? Yes, absolutely. Um, I find that, you know, again, one of the other things that we typically are not the best in, I mean, unless we're eating a bunch of really good fish sources or a lot of nuts and seeds or even, you know, avocados are another great one. Mm -hmm. Typically, if we're not having a good range of those foods with healthy oils, our omega-3s tend to be a little bit lower. Um, and it's like, you know, omega-3s are healthy oils. I, I, I like to tell our, my patients, it's like a, they almost oil the machine. And if we're not getting enough mm -hmm. of it, we get a little clunky. And um, that's why we need to add them in. So everything can move a little bit smoother. Um, everything runs a little bit cleaner in our system. Um, our emotions can be a little bit better if we're not dealing with as much inflammation, which is another part of the mm -hmm. things that I address. 
Um, so sometimes in those cases where there may be a lot of, um, you know, uh, like I said, very restricted diet or not a very ro- like big rotation in the diet. And I do check to see what someone is eating typically just to make, to see, you know, what's the standard everyday diet for them? Because I can generally look and say, oh, okay, that doesn't look like there's much of these omega-3s in there. In cases like that, where a kid is very picky, or I know that they're really low in something just based on what I see them typically eating, supplementation can be very helpful to get those levels up a little bit um, quicker and into a more normal range faster and can be really simple to add in um, a small amount. And it's not like you have to eat a bunch of this extra food or try to convince your kid to eat that avocado Mm -hmm. that they can't stand. (laughs) And particularly when we're talking about those omega-3s, I know you pregnant moms, you're hearing a lot about DHA and the importance of taking DHA. So these are the fats that we're talking about. And these fats continue to be important, not only in the formation of the baby's brain, but even as we talk about some of these conditions that children are struggling with. So when you hear your doctor, your naturopathic doctor in particular talking about DHA, this is what we're talking about. So can you give us some, um, you know, if there are some other herbs or other supplements that you find to be very important with your um, peds cases? Yeah. So one of my favorite um, herbs actually to use for children um, is, and, and for many different reasons, is chamomile. Um, mm. It's very easy to access, very, um, very many different ways to get it. Usually there's teas. Um, you can also get it in like little um, like glycerin syrups, which can be a little bit easier to get down, but it can be very, very helpful um, in many, many children. It's a very, very safe herb. Um, you'll see even in young children, you know, six months old, there'll be, there are things like gripe water, which I don't know, some parents mm-hmm. have heard of Old school. That you, yeah, <laughs> that help with, you know, stomach aches. So small doses for very young children, but even older children, six years old and up, um, chamomile can come in very handy as, uh, something to help relax. It helps with, it can help with sleep, calming, um, even just the act of like, if your child is older and having tea and making it part of your daily routine, just even the routine of having something that they know that they can rely on every day, Mm -hmm. this is what we do at this time, can make them feel a little bit more safe and secure and um, calming. But chamomile has so many other benefits, you know, including being a a slightly antiviral as well, which is great, um, you know, to boost your immune system a little bit during the, you know, even these winter months that are coming up when we're going to be exposed to a little bit more. Um, But mostly I like to use it for that relaxation property uh, for adults too, adults as well, not just children. And speaking of relaxation, you are training to be a yoga instructor. So um, share some of your tips on um, how yoga can be helpful in in potentially breathing with with children. Yeah, so yoga, I I, I am training to be a yoga instructor, and I've always wanted to, to be involved and do that. And now that I'm actually training for it, I find that I use it a lot more because I understand a lot more of its functionality with, with everyone, with the body. Um, you know, we always know here movement is great. Sometimes movement, just simple things like stretching uh, can help with releasing just endorphins. Even in a couple minutes, you can start to feel a little bit more relieved, a little bit more relaxed. And a lot of kids are really open to the idea of doing like a little stretching. If you, you tell them why or explain to them the importance of doing that. Um, And since yoga also incorporates your breath and breathing through it, 
Um, getting more oxygen in, you know, can be really important. A lot of the times when we're stressed, kids are stressed, doesn't matter who's stressed, we don't take <laughs> as deep breaths and we're not really oxygenating our body, our blood, our brain. Um, and that can actually exacerbate our feelings of anxiety and stress. Um, we like hold our breath when we're really scared. Um, and that is the opposite of what you should be doing in those times. You want to get that oxygen in. The more you get in, the better your brain is able to work and function. Um, and it also takes time. It takes your mind away from what's happening when you focus on your breathing. So yoga incorporates both that physical activity and the breathing. So simple stretches, you know, even just, you know, uh, if you've ever seen some yoga poses like the downward dog pose or something, kids tend to love anything mm -hmm. that puts them upside down or makes them feel like yes. that. So, so those can be very fun to do with your children. Um, you can either teach them and then they do it on their own, which a lot of kids will just do naturally. Or, you know, you can have a time, you know, the parents get involved and do it with your child. And that can also be really fun for the whole family. I mean, you know, I'm a fan. Um, some people don't know, but I, I used to be a yoga instructor. Um, I still teach meditation and breathing. Um, I don't have as much time to teach anymore because of doctoring, um, but I'm a fan. And on this show, I've, you know, the last show that we had coping through the pandemic, I went through um, some breathing exercises that people can do at home. So I am a total fan. Um, <laughs> and it's super important because just as you said, we hold our breath when we're stressed and we do not breathe. And we need the breath to circulate nutrients throughout our body. And so the same goes for children. Um, so one more thing we have to talk about, we have to talk about this idea that, um, you know, you are trained in Chinese medicine as well in acupuncture. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the acupuncture and how, you know, have you used it on children? How do they respond? And just anything else about Chinese medicine that you think is important to share as we're talking about children? Yeah, so acupuncture, I love, love, love. It's a huge part of what I do um, because it can have very powerful effects with very little activity or anything going on, it can happen immediately. Um, and I do do acupuncture in children, depending on the level of like some kids are very scared of needles. There are <laughs> other ways that we can do acupuncture that don't always require us to use needles. Um, there are pressure points that can be used even in office. Um, I can teach parents how to do it for their kids or teach the child how to do it for themselves, which acupressure points we can use. And that's just light pressure um, on specific points of the body that can help with altering um, whatever it is we're looking to try to help. So if this is, you know, related to um, anxiety or, you know, difficulty with focus or whatever it is, there are different acupuncture points or acupressure points that we can use to kind of help alleviate that and relax and to try to bring the body back into balance because when we're stressed or when we're scared, our body's really out of balance and we can kind of get caught in that cycle. And this is meant to kind of break up that cycle and bring us back to a little bit more of our center. Kids do really like the acupressure, I find. Um, there's also something called ear seeds that I can use um, even in young I children. I love ear infants. seeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful tool. Um, ear seeds are just small um, small little beads that are attached to something that looks like a band-aid. It's a little bit of adhesive and you can use them right on the ear in different points. Same thing as the body. You can use it in the uh, like ear around the outside of the ear um, and each point is related to something different. 
Um, when we use those, we can leave them in even after the patient walks out of the room. We can leave them in for a few days if they're an older child or if they're younger. You know, I've, I've even done some ear seeds on young ear infants, even um, eight months old. Uh, they typically are very interested in what I'm doing. Um, and it's not painful. It's very, they find the sensation interesting. And we do it in the office for, you know, a minute, and then we take them off. And usually with kids, very, a little bit goes a very long way. It doesn't need a lot of time. You don't have to sit there for 20 minutes necessarily to get the effect. Um, very quick in young kids, their bodies are very capable. There's so much vitality in them that they can change very quickly um, these energies in them. So those can be helpful too. Very nice. So we're going to wrap up soon, but I'm going to have a few questions that I'm going to ask you. These are just quick questions um, to kind of wrap up, you know, what we talked about. We talked about so many things. Um, I'm so excited about this show um, today because we talked about how to manage through the pandemic with children, herbs, strategies. You shared so many great ideas and techniques and your experience of, of what people are you know, what you're seeing in practice. And I, I just think it's going to help so many people when they hear this, um, you know, as they're listening to the show. What is the best thing we can all do right now to improve our mental health from your perspective? The one of the biggest and simplest things I think right now would be to take time a moment away and just breathe. That is one of my favorite things to tell people. And it, it's my favorite thing for myself to do because it is so it's such an impactful thing. When we take time to sit back, we can really assess how we're feeling. Sometimes we sit back for a minute and just take a few deep breaths and you realize how much stress you've been holding this entire time. Um, and, and most of the time we walk around and we're like, no, 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 we're not, I'm not stressed. Then what do you mean? I'm not stressed. And then, <laughs> right? and then you take that moment and you're like, wow, I was holding so much tension in my chest or in my shoulders. And when we do those things, you know, we, we're, we're, we're exacerbating our own issues. We spiral and it can get worse. And again, since we've been talking about kids, kids can pick up on that too. So we have to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves first and foremost um, for our mental health and for our physical health as well. So deep breathing, take a moment, you know, I, two minutes can make a huge difference in your entire day. Oh, I love that. Um, and so another question, what long-term effects do you see COVID-19 having on our mental health or in this case, children in the future? Uh, I, I think that kids are very uh, adaptive and I think that they are able to go with the flow and changes as long as we as adults and parents in society um, explain things as they go along, kids can pick up and adapt to these new changes. But as far as long-term changes maybe or effects, um, you know, there may be more levels of anxiety because of the changes of school and the changes of the home life. And um, it might be a while before things still start to feel a little bit more normal. And um, during that time, we might find a lot more, maybe even nutrient deficiencies. The more stressed we are, the more anxiety or fear or depression or you know, uh, whatever it is, the exacerbation of issues. We do use up more vitamins and minerals when we're feeling under the weather or scared. Um, so there may be more issues with making sure we get more vitamins in. Um, so we should be definitely checking what, what everyone's status is for their vitamins and minerals coming out of this. Wow. 
Oh, that was a lot, a lot to think about, but you're right. Children are so resilient. Um, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm happy you brought up those nutrition, uh, nutrient deficiencies that can come up. So finally, what are you doing for fun these days to get through the pandemic, um, you know, with your family, um, and your small baby boy, um, what are you, what are you doing for fun? So right now I make an effort to go outside every once in a while with my, my son and just go play, just Mm -hmm. take a few moments, even if it's 10 minutes, um, to just totally decompress with what's going on and, you know, reconnect with the world around me. Um, and, and my son, of course, you know, he he picks up on my mood too. So if I'm not taking time for me, he certainly knows it and (laughs) he'll let me know. So I do try very hard. We go out, we play, we get some sunshine, get some good vitamin D in there, um, from the sun and, uh, just, you know, breathe. We do that too. Perfect. And lastly, where can we find you? So how can, if someone has a child right now and they want to schedule an appointment with you, how do they do that? Um, yeah, where, how should they connect you? What's your website? So my website is drstephaniepreston.com. Um, you can actually contact me directly through there. Um, there is a, there's phone information. Um, if you want to call, there's email information. So right through there. Um, and I also have social media, so you can find me, Dr. Stephanie Preston, um, on Instagram, all one word, or even on Facebook. There is a Facebook page for Dr. Stephanie Preston. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This is, like I said, it's going to be great for people to hear these tips. Um, if you're listening right now, um, reach out to her. Dr. Preston is amazing. I've had the privilege of working with Dr. Preston for, I believe, almost two years now. And yeah. um, she's an amazing physician. She's full of knowledge. All the, the patients love her. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> I've referred to her um, for pediatrics, they love her. She also works with pregnant moms as well. So keep that in mind. So all stages from getting pregnant to actually having your baby. Dr. Preston is the doc you want to contact. Thank you so much again for being on the show. And, um, you know, like I said, guys, please reach out to her because she is amazing. So thanks again for being on the show, Dr. Preston. Thank you, Dr. Pierre. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Seeking Wellness Show today. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Pierre. You can reach out to me at my website, drjpierre.com, on Instagram at drjpierre, or on Facebook at Dr. Jennifer Pierre. Please be sure to check out the website, wpcan.org, for past shows and meet us right back here, same time, same place on the fourth Saturday of the month for another informative topic. Enjoy your weekend. And most of all, please stay healthy.